You know, it would be about every other week, like clockwork, this elderly woman by the name of, let's just call her Susan, as soon as service would let out, she would make a beeline straight for me at the back of the room. Now, I don't really know why she was coming up to me because I wasn't in charge of, of really what she was about to complain about. Maybe it's because I was fresh me on the staff that she thought I would maybe hear her complaints. She kind of kind of somber on up to me and she kind of looked and she said, Eric, let's get a little bit louder in there than last week. And I would say, oh, you don't say. And she would kind of continue to just kind of, yep, you know, I just, I, I really think we, we should turn down the volume. And so one time I just kind of leaned into the conversation. I said, why do we need to turn down the volume? You know, what's, what's so loud in there for you that it inhibits your ability to worship? And she would always start with, well, the, the drums, those wretched drums. And I'm like, I'm with you. I don't really like drummers that much either. They're all a little wild and crazy. But, you know, no. She, uh, but then she would kind of just begin to say, you know, well, I just... We cannot praise God if, if it's so loud in there. And you begin to looking at her, begin to kind of just have this conversation that, that she truly believed deep down inside of her heart that, that there, was a, there was a direct connection between the loudness, the decibels in the room with her ability, with our ability, because this wasn't just her. It was everyone in there. We could not adequately, we could not properly praise and worship God through song when it was that loud in the room. And so finally, I just said to her one time, I just said, well, maybe it's because we know that we just really don't want to hear everyone sing because our voice is so bad. Have we ever considered that opportunity of why we keep it so loud in the room? Today, we're going to be talking about psalms of praise. And when we use the word praise, when we use the word worship, we instantly, our minds tend to jump to, to the music portion of our services. Now, we at first, we spend a lot of time talking about how worship in song is just a portion of our worship. There are different ways in which we worship God. But in week four of this series, we're going to be looking at psalms of praise and how they lead us, more than often, in song to praise God through the various ways in which we worship him. Now, here's what I want to start, though. I want to say, for those of you who didn't grow up in church, you kind of missed out on something. Uh, we, we affectionately call this the worship wars in churches. You know, it's kind of uh, a facepalm thing, really, but it is a reality. And this is kind of what it is. Let me paint you a picture. That you had people inside churches, people who attend the same church, go to the same service, and they would constantly bicker and fight. Churches have split over just their preference or their style of how the music should sound, right? Some people say, well, we want it to be so loud that we can't hear ourselves sing. And other people say, no, 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 it has to be so quiet that we can hear everyone sing. Some people would say, well... There's got to be drums, right? Because drums are awesome. And other people say, no, no, no. Drums are of the devil. Drums are wretched. Some people are saying, we like guitars. Guitars are, are, are just so cool. And they help out. And other people are like, no, 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 no. Don't melt my face off with guitars. We don't want that. They're distracting. Some people would say, well, if there's no organ, there's no presence of God. Some people will talk about him. And on and on and on and on. And then people would just bicker and argue over what is true and proper worship. Always talking about the music. Now, now, hear me out. I'm not saying that you can't have a style or a preference of worship music that you like. You see, worship style is rooted in, in tradition. It's rooted in preference, meaning it's probably going to change over time, and it should. 
But that's completely different than worship in and of itself. You see, worship is rooted in the character and the work of God. It's completely almost aside. It is supported by music. It is a, but the foundation of worship has nothing to do with the loudness, the decibels, the instruments being used to lead people in worship through song. That just because it's old, it doesn't mean it's any more praiseworthy. And just because it's new, doesn't necessarily mean that it's better than anything from the past. Now, let me be straight with you for a moment. There are songs that we do that I, I, I really like. And there are songs that we do that, that I'm not really super fond of. And, yeah, and you might feel the same way. But here's the thing. No matter what songs our creative arts team or worship team leads us in on a Sunday morning, it doesn't bother me because worship isn't about the song, the melody, the tune, the loudness, the lights, the fog. It's not about any of that. That worship is truly about my ability to express who God is in my life and how I see him moving in my life and the world around me. It's not about a mood. It's not about a vibe. It's not about whether the lights were, were moving appropriately, if they were up, if they were down, if they were stale, if the haze was foggy or not. That worship is not about a mood. It's about God. The same God of yesterday, today, and forever. See, all worship, it should be evaluated on the exclamation of God's worth, never the decibels in the speakers or anything else in the room. Here's what I mean. Is that anytime you marvel at who God is, what he's done in your life, or what he will do in the future, whether that's in song, in prayer, in communion, in the word of God, in, in community with other people, on a walk by yourself, tilling your garden, anytime you marvel at who God is, that is worship. That is praise, because praise is built on God and God alone. So I invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 98 this morning as we look at Psalms of praise today. And we've been saying this every single week when talking about Psalms and kind of what Psalms are designed to do. And it's this, is that Psalms are the expression of the heart of God's people to God. Meaning these are real people, real scenarios, real feelings and emotions that they're crying out, yearning, celebrating to God. But it's also the expression of God's heart to his people. That if someone's heart breaks or lament, God's also saying, yeah, I'm right there with you. One scholar called Psalm 98, it's a victory song, like an army returning home from a victorious war. It's kind of like, you know, it kept, kept making me thinking of that song, We Are the Champions. You know, the song that the, the, the Mighty Ducks movie kind of made popular. I don't really think there's any other reason that people would, would know that song. It's a song uh, that, that, that talks about, right, that our praise, our worship is more like a victory chant. Something that is, that is shouted from the rooftop. Something that has energy and vibrancy. When it's something that's kind of somber or introspective or, or, or woe is life. That, that praise more often than not, should be seen as a victory chant, a song as if you're returning home from a battle that has been won. Today, we're going to see three reasons of how we can praise God for the victory that he has given unto us. 
So let's dive in. Psalm 98, starting in verse 1, it goes like this. It says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations, plural. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Here's the first thing we see about our praise in worship is that we praise God for what he's done. Psalmist starts by saying this is a new song. It's kind of a reference to a recent victory. Now, we don't really know the, the context, the historical details about what the victory was over. My thing is, though, does it really matter? Because time and time again, as we read through Scripture, God has proven over and over and over to be a God that rescues, a God that redeems, a God that saves his people time after time. So it begs the question, what has God done for us? Listen to these words and phrases. By his right hand, his holy arm, his salvation, he remembered his love and his faithfulness for the nations of the world, the ends of the earth, the people of Israel. Here's what you need to know and understand is that the whole Christian life, beginning to end A to Z, is never so much about what you do. It's all about what God has done what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. All salvation, both in this life and in eternity, it's God's alone, his strength, his holiness. It's God's to dictate what is needed, God's to complete and God's to give. And God's desire, as we see in this psalm, is for everyone, all nations, to the ends of the earth, to have seen the marvelous work, the salvation of of God. Let me say that again. That God's salvation is for all people. All people need it. All people can receive it because that is God's desire for it. That means, yes, you. Yes, you. No matter what reason maybe you've heard or thought or been given about maybe you don't fit into that category. That's completely false. It's not true. If you ever think to yourself, well, I don't look like that person, or I don't match that stereotype, or my life has kind of been a mess, or I'm from that area, or I've got this background, or this history, or whatever, all of that is garbage. All of that is a lie. Because God's desire is for all people to experience his salvation by his righteousness for all single nations of the world. God's salvation is for all people through the grace of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. And that is a victory song we all can celebrate. That is what he has done. And Psalmist continues then in verse uh, four. He says, so shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. The second thing we see is that we praise God for who he is. 
You see, God's character and his nature is worthy to be praised. And ours, as humankind, our natural self is, is, is not. There's nothing worthy or praiseworthy about who we are. In essence, we praise God for who he is because of who we are not. I want you to think about it. Let me use an illustration here for a moment. Think about maybe that, that, that athlete or that artist or that musician that you revere. Now, you're probably looking at me. And you're like, Eric, you look like a pretty fine specimen. You could probably 360 windmill dunk a basketball. I'm like, oh, you know, maybe if I get stretched out my knees, I'm well into my 30s by this point. So, you know, a couple years ago, sure. Right, you know, think about like LeBron James, Michael Jordan. Think about those, those people that do these awe-inspiring athletic feats. We don't, we don't revere them. We don't worship them because they've done something for us. Rather, we do so because there's nothing like us. Because they can do things that we cannot. Because they're capable of things that we could only dream or imagine of. Now take that and multiply it times infinity. And that's God. Right? Hold out your hand. You know, and just snap your fingers with me here. So you made a noise. You snapped your fingers. Big deal. We can all do that. But God, imagine what he could do in the snap of a finger. By the power of his voice, he created the heavens and the earth. He could start a fire. He could make you disappear. He could create a, a new universe. He could fill your house with puppies. He could give you that, 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 that pool full of jello that you've always wanted. I don't know. With a snap of a finger, God could do anything he could possibly dream or imagine of. And all we can do is make one measly noise. We worship God for who he is and hopefully in understanding who we are not. And he says in the psalmist, he says, and so this causes us to burst out of this realization. That's how I want to worship. I want my understanding of God and who he is and what he's done and doing in my life to be so much, to be overflowing out of me that I can't keep it in, that it just explodes out of me on a regular, multiple times a day, how I'm driving down the road. When I, when I enter, uh, act with other people, can you just believe how incredible God is? Can you believe how incredible the God of the universe who desires a relationship with us is? We praise God for who he is. The omnipotent creator who knows your name and wants to be in a relationship with you now and for eternity. That is worthy of praise. And so the psalmist gives us one final thing, a reason to praise God, picking back up in verse seven. He says, so let the sea resound and everything in it the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Last thing is that we praise God for what he will do. So we praise God for what he's done. We praise God for who he is. We can also praise God for what he will do. I think sometimes this is one of the things that I forget of, to, to kind of worship and praise God, a facet of what he will do 
that is worthy of praise. That he longs for the world to be back to normal, the way he created it, that shalom, that word marked with peace and unity and harmony together, that there will be a day when sin is abolished and completely made new, the heavens and the earth. God longs for that just like we long for those things. And what he will do in time, in his cadence, in his powers, he will open the gates of eternity, he will restore creation And the fact that he will do that, and through faith and grace, we will get to experience it on the other side of eternity with him. What he will do is worthy of our prayers. You know, in this psalm, they talk about singing. They talk about harps, the ram's horn, the shofar, as it is called. Let me just speak quickly to the music part of worship and praise and song. Hopefully you're beginning to see that that the music part is is secondary. It makes me ask the question, well, well, why? Why do we have music? Why do we have song? Why do we put so much effort into it if it's kind of just a supporting piece of it? Let me me give you a a chance to play a little game with me here this morning. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a, a jingle from a commercial, and I want you to finish it off. So if you're sitting next to people, you can play along. If, you, if you're just watching, tuning in online by yourself, you can play along as well, all right? So i got a couple of them here for you. Here's the first one. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there, right? That's a good one. This is one I had to look up because, you know, it, it preceded me, but it's Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. It's kind of a fun one. Alka-Seltzer. This one's pretty simple, but kind of powerful. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. It's McDonald's. One of my favorites. Meow, 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 the cow food. And then this one's kind of hits home for us in the Friedman family right now. It's... Look, Mom, look what I can do. I'm a big kid now. Huggies. Commercial jingles, right? They stick in our minds. They have these melodies that are are trying to get us to remember the brand, to remember the message. So think about our music, our, our songs that we play as praises that we're trying to help one another express together that we can remember as we leave our buildings, as we go about our day, as we drive in our cars, as we go about our our, our groups, as we walk through life with other people. It's ways for maybe something to stick that forms us into the image of Jesus. Because worship forms us when it is not about us. That worship, it forms you, it changes you, it molds you and shapes you. When that worship is not about you. When worship is in praise or prayer, proclamation, practice, or a posture that is not about you, it it changes you. When you're shouting and singing and joining together to declare the worth of God and no one and no one else who is worthy of that praise. It forms us when we reflect on what God has done, his goodness, his faithfulness, his grace and mercy shown to us through himself, through his son, Jesus. It forms us when we praise God for who he is, his love, his desire for all people and all nations to know him. 
It forms us when we proclaim of what God will do to bring restoration and to redeem all things back to himself. In no way, I don't want you to get get the wrong idea here. In no way am I advocating getting rid of the music component of our services. What What I am advocating is that I want you to understand that you can worship without a band. You can worship without a song. You can worship without maybe even your favorite tune being played on a Sunday morning. See, I think sometimes too often we forget that this part of praise and song and music and worship, it's not about the music so much. It's not about us. It's not about if we, if we felt it that morning, if the vibe was good, if the stage was right. What Psalm 98 is reminding us is that we sing, we shout, it bursts out of us, these praises to God because of who God is, what he's done, what he will do, not because the music was good, not because the music was just right. It wasn't too loud. It wasn't too soft. The right amount of of singers, the right amount of instruments, the right amount of all those things that we praise God in victory out of that love, that faithfulness that he has given unto us. One of the things I love about our creative arts pastors is is they're some of the first people to say that when we talk about worship, they they correct us. No, we're talking about worship in song. Some of the first to say that that, that the song, the music is part of our service as worship. But that also, when we hear the message, when we serve one another, when we give of our time, talents, and treasures, when we hear the word, when we partake in communion, the fellowship, the prayer, the study, going to your group, all of those things are components of worship. That all of these are opportunities to worship. Because they help us remember and reflect the love of God in our lives and in those around us. One of the coolest things about this passage is there's no personal pronouns here. Let us sing. Let the the nations, may we do this together. Because corporate praise has many different looks, but it's always for the same purpose. When I see Psalm 98, when I read Psalm 98, it's a worldwide reconciliation that people are being brought to the nation of Israel. It's not a me-centered view of worship. It's not a, 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 a view of worship or faith that's built on one single country or one single person other than Jesus. Because God knows every language, every tribe, every tongue. It reminds me of uh, the times we've taken some high school students down to Mexico on a mission trip. We take them to this orphanage where they get to experience just this this insane amount of of love and care for these kids who have been abandoned from homes. And my second year taking these groups down, one of the things we started to do is we, we made sure that we were there by Saturday so that we could go to church on Sunday. And so we walk into these buildings that look very different than ours. And we sit in seats that are very different than ours. With people that look and talk very differently than we do. Most of us. 
But one of the coolest parts of this, of, of this service is, is when they begin to play the music and, and watching our students kind of realize and hear the songs just being played and sung in a different language. And at first, there's kind of this awkwardness. They, you know, they're trying to sing along with the words on the screen, you know, uh, whether or not they, they speak Spanish, they're having a hard time keeping up and with getting, but they know the melody, they know the tune, they know the song, they know the words. And about halfway through, maybe that first, maybe the second song, they just begin to sing in English. In a room, in a different, lang- in a different part of the world, in which a different language is being sung. They sing. Why? Not because it's moving them. Not because they maybe get it. But because the music has reminded them that worship is about God, not their personal preferences. Worship is not tied to how emotionally we feel in a moment, whether our preferences are met or not. It's always tied to the sovereign, creator, sustaining, redeeming God of the universe. It's a song, it's a prayer, it's a proclamation about a particular person. Therefore, let us sing to the Lord a new song of victory. Let's move to our time of response. You know, one of the favorite things that Eric just told us was it doesn't matter whether we sing our favorite tune, our favorite song, or do our favorite thing on Sunday mornings. It's all praise. It's all worship. It doesn't matter whether it's a pipe organ or it has a drum set involved or a bunch of electric guitars. It's all praise. And it all changes us and it is all true about who God is. Sometimes, though, I feel like we can take that attitude and let it affect us in these spaces. We can say, I don't know, have you ever gotten a birthday card before? I'm sure everyone's gotten birthday cards before. A Hallmark card for any reason at all for, your, for, for whatever event. And, you know, someone goes through all the trouble going to Walmart or Meyer or wherever to get this card. And they search for this high and low for this, the perfect card to communicate what they want to say to you on this special occasion. And then they don't write anything in it except for their name. (laughs) It's a very sweet sentiment and a great thing that they would take the moment to get the card for you. But, you know, sometimes it feels like that can be our worship as we, we, we mutter the words under our breath or we stand there with our hands in our pockets and we read the words on screen, but we just kind of sign our names on the words and we move on with our day. I'm not trying to down anybody, but I do want to, think a little bit more about, you know, what it is that we do in terms of singing here in a space like this, or even on our own at home. It's not about signing that birthday card to Jesus on Sundays. But I get it, it's been hard. It feels weird to sing at home in our own spaces. It feels weird to not be in a room with other people and do that. But here's the truth I want to tell you this morning. We don't have to sing words to let true praises of God change us. We don't have to sing to let true praises of God change us because words don't have to be sung in order for them to be true. Words don't have to be sung 
in order for them to be true. But Aaron, it's more fun to sing together. I just want us to get back to our space. I want us to join together in the same place and see all my friends and sing songs in the massive crowd. Look, no, no, I want to as well. I really do. Because there's something powerful and profound about being in the same space together. We can declare this truth together. We can pray these truths together with one another as the church. It is more fun to sing together. It is more powerful to get to be together in a space. But words, words don't have to be sung in order for them to be true. And here's another question I want you to consider. You know, you can sing the words all you want. You can come to the space and you can sing the words, say the magic words on screen. But what if our praise that we gave to God actually became reality? Again, sometimes we can sign that card and move on with our lives, but not give a second thought to the words that we actually sang that morning. What if the praise we gave became reality? What if the Bible we read became who we are instead of what we believed? Because that's the goal. When we consider the marvelous nature of who our God is, we can't not change. It does something to us. So here's my encouragement to you this morning. Even if you don't sing, whether it's at home or whenever we come back together into this space, into this room, I want you to always be praying the words that we sing. I want you to always internalize the words that we sing because they have meaning. They are important and they do change us. I consider the song that we're about to sing, it's called So Will I. I know it's many of your favorite song. And the last month I've been meditating on the second to last chorus, which has this line. It says, if you gave your life to love them, so will I. If you died, if you shed your blood and broke your body so that our sins could be done away with, if you gave your life to prove that you love us, then God, I will give my life to love others as well. God, if you gave your life to love me, but not just others, God, that changes me, and I will do the same to make your name known. You know, we take communion together every single week. We eat the little cracker and we drink the juice together, declaring that Jesus is Lord. Jesus gave his life to love us, to show God's love to us. We declare Jesus as Lord through the act of communion, through that broken body and that shed blood. We are declaring that Jesus is Lord and that says something about who God is and therefore that changes our reality. If that is our reality, it changes us. 1 Corinthians 11.26 says this, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If that is your reality, if Jesus is your Lord, then this is more than just bread and juice. We internalize that reality. We celebrate the fact that the broken body covered our sins. We take and eat together. We celebrate that the shed blood of Jesus washes away our sin. We drink together.
Lastly, we proclaim that God is provider and what came from him can go back to him. If that is our reality, then this morning, I invite you to use the Give app. That's G-Y-V-E. You can download that on your app store. And I invite you not to put this money in the birthday card, so to speak, but to let this, to let this be a sacrifice that declares something that is a reality that proclaims something about who God is. You know, everything in creation and beyond praises God both in heaven and on earth. Everything praises God forever. This morning, we're going to end our time of response here by singing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow for what he's done, for what he is doing right now and what he will do in the future. For some of you, maybe you sang the song before at church growing up. For some of you, maybe these words are entirely new to you. Wherever you happen to fall on that spectrum this morning, I invite you to internalize these words and pray these words and praise God with us. Would you sing with us this morning? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Everything praises God, and we praise Him together this morning. Would you sing with us?